Welcome, everyone, to episode 266 of the NBA podcast. We are continuing today with our division previews. This time we are hitting the Atlantic division. Before we get into that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we are now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. It's been a while since we recorded. And, you know, I have to apologize to people out there if they hear uh, a faint or significant echo because I've moved my entire setup into the living room before I recorded in the kitchen because that's how rich podcasters are. <laughs> um and, and the kitchen is, is a little bit more uh, compact. And now I'm sitting in a living room that's wide effing open. So there might be a little bit of, of, of a feedback. Sounds good to me. But if you guys hear anything, let us know just in case. And yeah, it's totally my fault that it has been a while since we recorded. We were supposed to record this on Tuesday. But I took a red eye from Seattle back to Nashville caught a stomach bug at some point on the way and let's just say i now sympathize with joel Embiid, uh what he was dealing with in game two of that raptors series so you had ebola (laughs) frankly like i am shocked that he was able to play through that like it it gave me a new appreciation (laughs) of what an absolute monster he is because i could not get off the couch like i was dead on tuesday and thankfully it was only a 24-hour thing but Man, like, I, I just, I haven't been sick in a while, and that was a harsh reminder of how much it sucks. So kudos to Joel for battling through that. And now imagine he's seven foot two. His toilet must have been in trouble. <laughs> just, I mean, I, oh, man, it was, that, that was, uh, I've got some cleaning to do after we get off this pod. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, um, welcome back. Yeah. Well, we're, let's start with my favorite topic. Boston Celtics slander. Let's yep. start with the Celtics, who had a, a rough offseason, but as they adjusted as well as you possibly could have, given the circumstances. You know, Kyrie Irving was basically telegraphing his interest in leaving, dating back to February when, uh, you know, reporters were asking him ahead of the All-Star break if he's still, you know, he famously committed to resign in October. And then they, they asked him in February, and he's like, ah, ask me July 1st, which was basically the sign that he was gone but then Al Horford wasn't really expected to be a threat to leave until those final few weeks in June when all of a sudden he opts out and it seems like oh well he's just going to re-sign a a multi-year deal then Boston wasn't comfortable with the terms that he wanted turns out the Sixers may have back channel agreed to a deal weeks in advance at least that's what the Celtics think so they lose both Irving and Horford did well to get Kemba Walker in place of Irving and Ennis Cantor in place of Horford. But which of those two guys do you think they miss more this year, Irving or Horford? They are going to miss the guy who I predicted would leave where everyone else said you're crazy the most, Al Horford. I agree. Because, look, I mean, we've talked about this before. Obviously, Kemba Walker is an, an all-NBA caliber, all caliber player. Uh, and his canter is not. So just off the sheer replacement level, that's a problem. Right. Um, I do agree with the, with you know the consensus that Kyrie Irving is slightly better as a basketball player than Kemper Walker. 
mm-hmm. but Walker is you, you know an an teammate who doesn't really project as being problematic uh, pr- problematic in the locker room, yeah. which in my eyes could actually mean that he could be overall an upgrade. Whereas going from Horford to Cantor, and it, look, I love in his Cantor. I think he's a good dude as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good scorer. He's a, he's a much better rebounder than Al, but the buck kind of stops there, right? I yeah. mean, you can't ask him to go out to the three-point line and hit shots or do a lot of dribble handoff action. You can't ask him to anchor the defense. You can't ask him to switch all over guys. Like, you know, Al Horford did somewhat well, reasonably well against Giannis Antetokounmpo, put Ennis Cantor into that same situation, and it's basically a bloodbath. It's right. it's a bigger bloodbath blood than, you know, Joel Embiid's toilet. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you for all of those reasons. I think just in general, like, Horford never put up huge numbers, but he was always kind of the glue guy, especially for their defense. So not only, you know, if they had a good backup in place of if uh, Cantor, like, if they had kept Aaron Baines, I would think it would be a little bit closer. But the fact is, I mean, they just have a bunch of, unproven options they have a, a number of guys who they can plug in there but they don't have any guy who you're you feel especially confident in heading into the year and maybe that changes as we see these guys get some minutes and figure out their roles in the rotation maybe you know maybe they do miss Kyrie more than Horford by the time we're talking about February or something like that but at least to start the year I think yeah I mean as you said Kemba is a slight downgrade in terms of talent from Kyrie, but the downgrade from Horford to Cantor is significantly more, especially on defense, which is what you usually want out of your big man. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's going to be a huge obstacle to overcome. With Kyrie and Kemba, I think, you know, the interesting narrative, of course, is, yes, Kyrie is super talented, you know, top 15 player in terms of talent alone, but clearly there were chemistry issues last year, you know, especially as we crept closer to free agency and after they petered out in the playoffs, you started seeing a number of reports come out talking about the chemistry issues he had with the younger teammates in particular, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I, I think those were the two main guys. I don't remember if there are any specific about Marcus Smart. Terry Roger, <laughs> you know, went on, one, I, I think, like Get Up or one of those ESPN shows and just ran Kyrie over with a bus you know Rogier is gone Brown and Tatum are still there Kemba got to play with some of his young teammates um at the FIBA World Cup it did not end as well as the Americans would have hoped but he at least has a head start in developing chemistry with those guys so do you think you know yes it's a talent downgrade but it might actually be addition by subtraction just based on Kemba doesn't figure to be a problematic force in the locker room yeah i mean look i i think overall when you are in the realm of being an all nba player yeah there are guys who could be significantly better like you know there's no argument that steph curry and kemba walker like there's a pretty significant gap Mm -hmm. but the gap between irving and kemba while there is one is not as significant so when you look at the personality side of things and the way that you influence a locker room in a positive way, I think that just tremendously overwhelmed the the value that you can add to a franchise. Um, 
ultimately, yes, I, I do believe that Kemba is going to be a major addition. I, I don't think it's going to be by subtraction because Irving, you can't say that about Kyrie Irving because of his sheer talent. But in terms of how he is in the locker room, yeah, it, it matters. Like we have seen time and time again over the past 20, 25 years that chemistry, especially for teams that want to go to the playoffs, matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And if I don't think it was a coincidence that Kyrie was not on the floor when when Boston made the Eastern Conference Finals either. I think I know that he was around the team, but he wasn't on the floor. He wasn't you know cursing guys out. I think they were able to just say, hey, you know what, we we can play for for ourselves. We don't have Kyrie you know <laughs> screaming <laughs> at us or doing whatever. Right. And now with with Kemba there, I think he's more in line of being like one of those guys back then. Just a a team player who is willing to check his ego at the door, mm-hmm. put a hand around some guys and say, hey, all right, cheer up. Look, we're still in this thing. Let's do this. Like a very supportive type of guy. That carries so much more worth ultimately. And also why ultimately when we talk about their legacies down the line, I think Kempa is going to be looked at in a much brighter light than Kyrie will ever be. Wow. Now that's a take. Is it really though? When you yeah, think about I mean, it, I'm, I'm not saying like better player, but, but in Ky- terms of how you perceive it. Yeah, Kyrie's won a title. Like I think history is going to look more fondly upon Kyrie than Kemba, who wasted much of his prime on a terrible Hornets team. Oh, oh yeah. Well, if you're talking about accolades and stats, absolutely. I'm talking about in terms of a player that you want to play with. Like if, oh, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. have like in 20 years, like Boston players come out like ex players who. Who've, who've retired and they come out and they're being asked on an ESPN show, who would you rather play with? Who did you enjoy playing with more? Kemba, 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 Kemba. Like that's yeah. oh, that's that's probably true, but I, yeah. like that's only going to matter in Boston. I, I think Kyrie would happily take the reputation of being a dick if it means okay, well at least like I'm going to be remembered as one of the all time greats, and Kemba's going to fade into nothingness because again he wasted most of his prime on a terrible hornets team do, do you actually think that Kyrie is going to go down as one of the greats i mean that depends on what happened we'll get to brooklyn in a little yeah. bit but it, it ha- depends on what happened with brooklyn but yeah i mean if he wins another ring or two in brooklyn I, you know <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility right that it, it's it might be because i look at that as unlikely but yeah, yeah. I, I i think in today's league you know, it, it matters way much uh, more than previous years in terms of how you are as a person and how you are as a teammate. At least if you go by, you know, what, what people are talking about, not just on Twitter, but on, you know, NBA talk shows and like the the overall tone of NBA debates nowadays. It seems to be tracking up a lot more with how players are personally as well. Sure. Like where, I mean, we still have this thing, oh, Michael Jordan was a dick. Yeah. And Kobe. Yeah. And Kobe as well. <laughs> And back then it was like, yeah, but he won, so it doesn't matter. Nowadays, right. that's being used as legitimate arguments against him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like Dame gets positive points because he is notoriously not difficult and actually right. tends to coax the best out of his teammates. So, yeah, we could revisit the Kyrie discussion another time. Or we'll get to him more when we hit Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. More slander coming up. Yeah. Um, we do need to talk about Gordon Hayward as well because that was another issue hanging over that Boston team last year. He, you know, he suffers the horrible ankle injury five minutes into his Boston debut in 2017-2018, misses the rest of the season, comes back last season, but wasn't anywhere close to his former self. 
you know, you see, you saw flashes of it at times, but it, mm. he just couldn't consistently get there. And, right. and he got closer as the year went on and, you know, was getting a little bit more back in the form toward the end of the season. But even in the playoffs, he would still have those games where he just disappeared entirely. He says he's all systems go now. He says, you know, he had a post on his website the other day saying he's feeling great. Um, but what do you expect out of Gordon Hayward this year? Because you, you correctly predicted that it would take him all of last year to overcome that injury. Yeah. So even I was very skeptical about last season. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even I was surprised that he was that, you know, <laughs> that hit or miss, honestly. Yeah. I I actually expected him to come, like, in the early parts of 2019, I thought he would come in and and look way more like he used to, and he didn't. Mm -hmm. So, I I don't know. I'm not his doctor, so I have no idea. But I'm hoping that he returns to what he used to be, just because that would be better for him. It would be better for the league. Uh, But but I'm still a little bit cautious. Uh, I I don't think he's going to ever to be frank copy those numbers he put up in utah mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're going to see that version of him again but i think we'll see a guy who is still smarter because if the one thing that's really speaking to his advantage is he thinks the game out and he's really smart in terms of the way that he reads the floor his passing and like he's just generally a smart player so i think he's going to be ironically a little bit more al horford ish going forward like maybe not having the major stat lines but having a very positive impact on the court just by making the right call time and time again Mm -hmm. i think that's the optimized version like obviously we would want that combined with him scoring 20 a game but i would be a little bit surprised uh happily surprised of course if you return to to being this all-star wing that he used to be yeah yeah i mean i think it's gonna come down to whether he can find that comfort zone because last year i think it was hanging over his head that he knew he wasn't his old self but you know there there were reports coming out that like the younger teammates got frustrated because they felt like brad stevens was like forcing him to have more opportunities than he deserved based on his current level of play so now i'm wondering if you know now that he has a full season without injury yeah, I mean, his. I agree, his statistics are probably not ever going to be back to what they were in Utah just because he has more competition for touches. Kemba, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Ennis Cantor, those, that's a lot of mouths to feed in Boston still. So maybe he doesn't average 22-plus points a game. But I wonder if like at least having a starting gig locked up in theory will give him that comfort that, okay, I can play through some mistakes. Mm because my young teammates are not going to be like silently fuming on the sideline that they're not getting a chance. So I think that was the wrong thing for the, his young teammates to think because the guy averaged less than nine shot attempts per game. I understand that he had the ball in his hands, mm-hmm. but that is going to be a factor whether they like it or not because that was always going to be the plan with Gordon Hayward in Boston. That was yeah. with him with the ball in his hands, making decisions as a secondary playmaker. And, you know, regardless of how his ankle felt, like he was still, that was one of the parts that still looked encouraging. Like he could still play make. He could mm-hmm. still set up, set up other guys. Like that that was not something that lacked. I even believe, if, I'm just going to have to check the numbers, but I'm pretty sure he would. He was very close to having like a career year in the assist department on a per minute basis. Mm-hmm. 
yes, second best ever for, from his career outside of 2013-2014. So, you know, he, he's he was always going to have the ball in his hands. He was just not going to take a bunch of shots. So I'm not really sure what the hell the young Celtics guy complained about there. But, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, that's part of his game. I mean, I, I think part of it is, like, those guys know they're playing for new deals soon. Like, Jalen Brown's up for an extension this year, and it, the report just came out saying the Celtics are unlikely to give him one, and Tatum's going to be in that boat next year. And it, this goes back to the Kemba thing, too. You know, Kyrie was there as well. Kyrie was playing for a new deal as well because he knew he was going to opt out. So he mm. needed to put up numbers and show that he deserved a max deal. Now that Kemba has his deal locked up, I wonder, as you said, he might be more willing to defer to his younger teammates, which in theory should, you know, create better chemistry <laughs> across the locker room. Right. Hayward's still, you know, he can opt out next year. I don't think he's going to unless he has just an absolute monster season. So I wonder, you know, just in general, I think having that contractual security with the two vets, they might be, there, there might just be more good vibes in the locker room this year. At least I think that's the hope in Boston. Um, I want to end on this. What do you think the starting lineup is for the Celtics this year? Because they have six guys, really, who you could argue deserve a starting spot in Walker, mm-hmm. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, Cantor. Who do you think gets left out? Probably Marcus Smart. Yeah, that's what I'm leaning to. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it could be by design as well because Marcus Smart in, in some capacity can play three positions. I mean, I don't even mind throwing him in a small forward here and there. Like he's, I know he's 6'4", but his scrappiness is, is positionless. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I think it starts out with, you know, Kemba and, and you know, yeah, Jalen probably, and then Gordon at the three, Jason Tatum at the four, and yeah, Cantor at the five. The question is, how long do you keep Cantor in as a starter if it doesn't work? Do you pivot and go small with you know Robert Williams, who, who does he's not small per se, but you know he's not a, a DeAndre Jordan type, but he's athletic and, and it's just shot blocker. He's still somewhat raw. Like where do you go with there? That that's the biggest question to me. That's really the center spot. Uh, do you go ultra small and maybe throw Grant Williams in there? Like, do you go with Daniel Tice instead? I mean, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. There, there are some opportunities there. But with Smart, I like the fit just coming off the bench, playing yeah. three position, can back up three positions, and he he's just such a, I mean, such a good utility player, right? Whatever kind of lineup you have, you can just sort of squeak him in there, and it'll work. Yeah. If nothing else, he gives them a steady hand as a backup point guard. I know they have Carson Edwards and Trey Waters as well, but both of those guys are rookies. I don't think you want to have them being your lead playmaker off the bench, whereas Smart is at least acclimated with the system. And as you said, the versatility there. Also, I mean, you know, Brad Stevens has been on this, like, there are no more positions. It's just ball handler, wing, and and big. Mm. You have Tatum, Brown, Hayward. I don't care what you call any of the, like Godspeed to the basketball reference people that have to label, you know, the positional yeah. estimates for those three guys. Cause I don't know how you, I guess they'll like label them in the starting lineup, but it doesn't matter. Like they will play two through four to some extent. You could call them whatever you want, but I think just having like three switchable wings is a nice look for Boston, but yeah, you know, 
I've repeatedly said I do not think Boston is as screwed, uh, despite the departures, as the general consensus. Like, I still think they're right in that second tier of East teams with Indiana, Toronto, Brooklyn. So I, I do think they're a tier below Milwaukee and Philly, but who knows? They could surprise. Like, maybe maybe the good locker room chemistry vaults them right back into the 51 territory. Yeah, and also the the progress of Jason Tatum has to be very high on the list, doesn't for it? For sure, for sure. Yeah. Maintaining your lawn the right way this fall starts with Lowe's because Lowe's has the grass seed and fertilizer perfect for your growing area and the know-how to help you do it right and a great savings, like up to $15 off select Scott's grass seed and save $5 on a 12 and a half pound bag of Scott's Turf Builder Winter Guard Fall Lawn Food, now $14.97. For all your fall projects, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Valid through 10-2. Selection and availability vary by location U.S. only. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. <laughs> this might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. All right, Moit. Since we talked about Kyrie, let's go to Brooklyn now, where he signed. Um, Today is actually media day for a lot of teams. So he just had, you know, he spoke with reporters recently. And he was talking Mm -hmm. about um, how he failed his Celtics teammates uh, and basically, I mean, he just went into it like a, what I think is honestly a very legitimate explanation for what happened last year. You know, he basically said like his grandfather died and he said, quote, a lot of the joy I had from basketball was sucked away from me. I didn't allow anyone to get close to me. It really bothered me. I didn't take the necessary steps to get counseling or therapy. I had to acknowledge that fact. Um and he, you know, he admitted, he said, I failed those guys. I didn't give them everything I could have during that season. In terms of me being a leader and bringing everyone together, I failed. But he then said he has a fresh mindset going into this season. And he, you know, he seems optimistic about his fit in Brooklyn. I have harped on this repeatedly, as you know, throughout the offseason that this is the first time he's chosen a team. You know, he's drafted to Cleveland, traded to Boston. He had his pick of the litter this summer, and he chose Brooklyn. So take that for what it's worth. But, you know, in theory, he could have gone anywhere. And the fact that he chose to go to Brooklyn suggests he actually wants to be there. So what do you expect out of Kyrie this year, especially with Kevin Durant seemingly set to miss the entire season? Well, this would be the perfect opportunity for him to actually become the, the type of leader that we talk about, you know, Kemba Walker being. Ironically, uh, I I don't know if it's in his DNA, but I guess we'll see. I mean, he's he's what from ninety two, so he's twenty seven. Yep. That's that's not old, so he's still got some time to develop as a human being and as a player. Uh, and maybe like, like you said, if he if it's his choice, you know, like him coming to Brooklyn and his choice of at media day going, hey, you know what, I'm going to take the responsibility of what happened in Boston last year then that's great science moving forward. What I expect from him for this year is just a bunch of high numbers. I mean, 
it's going to be him and Karis LeVert that more or less going to carry this offense with a, a splash of Spencer Dinwiddie, I feel like. Uh, so he, he's, I mean, he could he contend for leading scorer of the league this year? I, th- I think he could. Uh, that wouldn't even surprise me. But I'm, I'm going to be looking for him as more of in terms of playmaking and, and leadership because that's what it, it's interesting to me for him. Like, we know what he can do offensively. We know that he can average 25, 27 if need be. We know that he's got handles for weeks. Uh, we know that he's really, offensively, he has very, very few weaknesses. So what I'm going to be looking at for his perspective is just how does he... How does he attack this year fully knowing that Durant is out and there's going to be a certain cap on this team? Is he trying? Is he actively going to try to see if he can increase that cap by himself? That would be intriguing. Um, is he going to get flustered and frustrated when some of these uh, younger players are not going to live up to standards? Also interesting. I mean, everything he's going to do this year is, is going to go under the microscope, and I think it's fair, honestly, because he's had a track record where... Like he didn't really function with LeBron all that well. You know, there were issues in Boston, as we alluded to. Like, now is the time to just focus on basketball, becoming that player that, you know, he himself thinks he is. Yeah. So I wrote about Kyrie earlier this summer at the basketball writers, bballwriters.com, which you can check out. You use the code the NBA pod and get 10% off your daily, monthly, or annual subscription. And I basically went into the whole, you know, a, the fact that he chose Brooklyn gives me hope that he's at least not going to turn into the moody, passive-aggressive guy he was last year. But B, I think the fit both conceptually in terms of skill sets and then also just maturity, age, and contract status is all going to play well. So he's you know he's playing next to guys in Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, both of whom can handle the ball, hmm. both of whom have now gotten long-term contracts. So they have contractual security, whereas you know Tatum and Brown were playing for their next deal. Levert and Dinwiddie don't have to worry about that, at least immediately. So I think that's going to help. Those guys also played next to D'Angelo Russell last year, who was a very high-usage guard. They are used to playing second fiddle to a ball-dominant point guard. So there right. isn't going to be a huge adjustment period at least in terms of like a conceptual fit. It's just Kyrie is taking over D'Angelo Russell's old role. When when KD comes back in 2020, then you're going to have to make bigger adjustments. But right now, it's basically just, you know, an upgrade from D'Angelo Russell to Kyrie Irving, at least in terms of talent. He has Joe Harris still out there spotting up on the wing, who led the NBA in three-point field goal percentage last year. He has Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan as bigs who he can lob threats good offensive rebounders, cleaning the glass. You know, the Wilson Chandler suspension hurts, but they still have Torian Prince. And who knows, they, they just signed Lance Thomas. Who knows, you know, there, there's talk that they might sign or that there be the players are pressuring them to sign Carmelo Anthony. So we'll see what they do at the forward spot. But I just like the fit of Kyrie's teammates with him. And I think there's a chance that we see the best Kyrie Irving we have ever seen it seems like he's in a good headspace maybe it all goes out the window in early november if they get off to a slow start but i'm cautiously optimistic i'm not ruling out the possibility of you know maybe last year was just really weird for Kyrie, and maybe he's in a better place now and frankly i hope so because he's an extremely talented guy and i'd like to see him be better than ever 
I agree. I, I would like to mention, though, it does seem like Kyrie every single year finds a reason to be upset. Now, I'm not saying for the last year that he found a reason because mm-hmm. experiencing a death in the family is always going to be significant. So so he, that's, an, that's a completely fair excuse. I don't use, consider it an, an excuse, really, but uh, because it's, it's a fair thing. But it just seems like every single year there's something that just annoys him, something he gets hot, you know, hot and bothered about. I think it's time for him to get out of his own head. Yeah, and and you can you can argue like you just did that by selecting Brooklyn by having contractual security that maybe a lot of that goes away. That's the big hope, but you also have to just consider how he's wired. Maybe mm-hmm. he's a guy who just constantly wants to fight something because he has to feel that he has you know to motivate himself differently than some other players. I don't know. This is just me spitballing. Obviously, I'm not a psychiatrist. But it just seems like every single year there's something. Something yeah. sneaks up. Maybe that's the biggest challenge for him going into this year. Just stay off the negativity. Stay off the something has to pop up. Just mm-hmm. play basketball. Shut everything else out. And just go about the, the team route. Like Make your teammates your family. If you have any issues, if you have any quarrels with anything, go to your teammates and just... Stay within that, even if it means a sort a type of media lockdown that Durant ironically did in Golden State. <laughs> right, like that's fine. I mean, I know that that would piss off the media, but at the end of the day, who cares? That's that's not the priority for him. That shouldn't be the priority for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right with you there. Um, let's hit Karis Levert, who you correctly pegged as a most improved player candidate last year. Unfortunately, suffered an ankle injury earlier in the year, which looked horrible at the time. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it was not as bad as it looked. He was able to return uh, late in the season, was quite honestly the, the Nets' best player in the playoffs against the Sixers in that first-round series. What do you expect from Karis LeVert this year? Do you think he has the chance to develop, you know, especially with KD out? Is this his one chance to really develop into a, like an all-star caliber player? Yes, but let me ask you something first because let's assume that Karis LeVert did not return from that ankle injury last year. Mm-hmm. How warped would this narrative about him be right now? Oh, man. Because right yeah. now we're sitting here talking about like greatly optimistic things. Like, could he be really, really good next year? Like, is he going to be a star? Is he going to score 20 points a game? Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. This matters. Like, the, the way he ended last year mattered so much. If he had not come back last year and he'd gotten the contract that he signed, three years, 52 million, like... Everyone would have lost their damn minds. Like, why are you? Why are you doing that? That's insane. Right. But I mean, so so returning in the season that you actually ended up being injured and producing in the way that he did just flipped the entire narrative, which is a comment on us and our short ass memories as well. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's also something that just benefits basketball players so much when they come back and just leaves a positive taste in your mouth before it's they hit the summer. Yes, I'm very high on Levert for obvious reasons. I mean, he's a great playmaker. He's a great on-ball creator, both for himself and for others. He can really dribble. I mean, in terms of an off-guard, he's got somewhat similar handle, handles as Kyrie, ironically. I mean, he's he very creative with the basketball. He can get into the paint. And he can create step-back jump shots for himself. He, he, he Offensively, he's very, very fluid. And you know, he came out late. 
Like, he's born in 1994, so he's 25. Mm. Like, he's, and he's going to be 26 next year. So like, he's going to go into his 20, age 26 season next year. So I think this is going to be the start of his prime already. Mm. I could see him over the next contract, the, the contract that he signed, having the best, uh, you know, the best years of his career going into them at least. I, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever because he's still, you know, unfortunately a guy who could get banged up with injuries again he just needs to stay healthy for two seasons in a row to catch some rhythm i think he can do that and i think that's just going to carry so much more into this season as well for him if he can um or, or later seasons i should say because he's a guy who can get you 20 he's a guy who can get you five assists he's a guy who can become that secondary scorer secondary playmaker the second most important player on the team honestly because he's got great size and defensively you know, while he isn't a great defender yet, like his physical frame, his athleticism, and his IQ is there. It's just a matter of having the ability of, or not having the ability, but having teammates alongside him who can take some of the offensive pressure off of him. Right. Now he has that with Kyrie, and next year, Durant is going to be back. So Lavert, in my eyes, could actually end up becoming one of the uh, more intriguing two-way players in a year or two. This year for him is just what starts it all. How he starts this year and how it manufactures as time goes on, that's the biggest question for him moving forward. I, I'm very excited for him. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we talked a lot this summer about how, like, big threes are out and big twos are in. For the Nets, I think their best hope of getting a big three back is not signing another free agent. I think it's they have to hope Karis LeVert develops into that kind of player. And is he going to be as good as... Kevin Durant, who's going to go down, you know, assuming this he comes back from this Achilles as one of the best players of all time? No, probably not. But could he at least be an all-star caliber player for the next few years? Hell yeah. Yeah, like he has that upside for sure. And I, I've seen some some people expressing concern about the fit between Levert, Dinwiddie, and Kyrie because they do all operate well with the ball in their hands and it's the same, you know, too many guys, too many cooks in the kitchen, only one ball problem. It, I think it all comes down to Kyrie, really, like how much he's willing to play off the ball. And I think hopefully his experience playing next to LeBron James will have helped him get used to that in mm-hmm. Cleveland. Because uh, he is a great three-point shooter. I mean, he's knocked down more than 40% of his threes over the last two years. He's the one hope because Levert... You know, he shot 31.2% from three last year. He's 32.9% right. overall his career. Dinwiddie, same boat, 33.5% last year, 32.3% across his career. So those guys, they're not Ben Simmons. Like, they're willing to take the shots. I mean, Dinwiddie averaged 5.4 a game last year. They're just not super efficient hitting them yet. Right, so, they're not cowards. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> so I mean... Hopefully those guys improve their three-point efficiency, of course, but otherwise, hopefully Kyrie is willing to play off ball and be that threat. You know, if you have Kyrie on one end and Joe Harris on the other, that's going to stretch a defense to its breaking point, especially if you have Levert or Dinwiddie on the court or both of them just having multiple ball handlers and multiple legit three-point shooters. I Yeah, I mean, I think it really... The fit between Kyrie and Karis, I really think, could be symbiotic for both of them, you know, in the best-case scenario. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And it, it leads into, you know, Kevin Durant 
there were like some rumblings that they might bring him back later this year. And then Sean Marks recently kind of shot that down and said like, look, we expect him to miss the full 2019, 2020 season, which is smart. The guy tore his Achilles in June. You don't want to rush it back. There is no, you know, you've got him signed for at least three years. Don't, why 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 bother risking his health for a and he's 31 so he's not gonna you know bounce back health wise right right so do you think they have enough help without kevin durant not necessarily to win the title this year because i think we all know the answer to that question but to be in that mix for the let's say the eastern conference three seed for the three seed yes top two no way mm-hmm I mean, the potential is there. I, I think what you said before with LeBert and, and the uh, Kyrie Irving pairing was interesting, but I'm actually going to have to disagree just a little bit because if you think of the, about the long term, right, when Durant returns, the ball is going to go through him and Kyrie primarily. We agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe this year should be more of a you know, a practice year, really, where you actually put LeVert and Dinwiddie in spot-up situations way more. I I understand like you're thinking here that Kyrie would be the better shooter moving moving forward and right now because you know forty plus percent over the past two years, but maybe that's just doing Levert and Dinwiddie a disservice, honestly, because they are they are going to have to be ready to just hit spot-up shots when mm-hmm. Kyrie and Durant are just bouncing around. That's going to be much of their role when those two guys are are back and fully healthy. Now, the big question is, is Durant going to be Durant? If not, then maybe it's a moot point. We just don't know what kind of caliber Durant is going to be when he returns. But, yeah. Uh, but to return to Durant, I think that was the smart play. I don't think you want to rush him back. Again, for 81 years old, you just you don't have that luxury anymore of saying, oh, an injury? I'll just drink some Gatorade and play some PlayStation for three weeks and I'm back <laughs> on the court. That's His body is going to react to it a little bit slower. That's just normal. That's, you know, he's human, I think. Uh, at least this is the first sign we've seen that Durant is human. So sitting him out the full year, I, yeah, I think that's the clever play. And regardless of where Brooklyn ends up, if it's the three seed or if it's the six seed, doesn't really matter what they just have to get you know, done this year is finding some type of system that allows them to incorporate Durant next year. Uh, that that isn't really basically just building the parameters of what the team will be next year, laying the groundworks mm-hmm. for what they will be in a year. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, I think they're definitely right in that mix for the three seed you know i i know we did our eastern conference over unders and it was like i think their over under was like 44.5 or something like that which that seems reasonable i mean they were 42 and 40 last year i want to say so you know you're projecting a slight bit of improvement but you know Kyrie is a clear upgrade just in terms of talent over d'angelo russell we'll see how the locker room chemistry shakes out if lavert stays healthy you know, he played only 40 games last year. I, you know, adding Torian Prince and DeAndre Jordan as well. I know DeAndre Jordan looked washed last year, but he was playing for a Knicks team that it was very clearly not a playoff contender. I'm guessing actually playing for a team that has something to play for might give him a little more motivation to actually give a damn. So mm-hmm. I like the talent on this team. I, I think I'm just higher on the Nets than most people heading into the season. Um I don't know where necessarily I'm going to put them 
in that Toronto, Indiana, Boston tier. I still haven't done my rankings yet, but that will come soon. Uh, but I think they're definitely right in that mix. Maintaining your lawn the right way this fall starts with Lowe's because Lowe's has the grass seed and fertilizer perfect for your growing area and the know-how to help you do it right and a great savings like up to $15 off select Scott's grass seed and save $5 on a 12 and a half pound bag of Scott's Turf Builder Winter Guard Fall Lawn Food now $14.97 for all your fall projects do it right for less start with Lowe's valid through 10-2 selection and availability vary by location U.S. only this is a message from the emergency stuffed crust warning system. Cheese! Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza now has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust for just nine bucks. I repeat, it has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust. Cheese! That concludes the message from the emergency stuffed crust warning system. Get a large Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pepperoni Stuffed Crust Pizza for $9. Top four national pizza chains. Extra Most Bestest Pizza versus large round one topping pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices. Three feet of cheese before cooking at participating locations plus tax. Pizza, pizza. Let's go to the Knicks now, Mort, begrudgingly. I mean, like, we could talk about their individual players, but I really think the big question with the Knicks is, do they have enough minutes to go around? I mean, you know the answer to that. (laughs) You know, because I saw Zach Lowe go on a rant the other day about, you know, how they just have no hope and no teams ever, or no players ever going to, no good player is ever going to take their cap space and how they keep right. selling it as a panacea. But, and he went on the rant about the power forwards too, but you know, we hammered them at the time during the off season about, you know, they, they signed Julius Randall, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris. They already have Mitchell Robinson. They draft to RJ Barrett. They have mm. Kevin Knox. Like, you know, the, the goal of course a lot of those guys are signed to two-year deals with light guarantees in the second year or a team option in the second year. So there's no long-term harm to the salary cap sheet. If you can flip any of those guys for assets at the trade deadline, like we get the plan here. It's not a very, they're not, they're not hiding it very well, but in the meantime, you have to find enough minutes to keep these guys happy and to have them prove that they're still good players that can contribute to a playoff team and I just don't know how they find enough minutes unless they just bury their young guys, which is the exact opposite thing the Knicks should be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I like I don't. Do you think like Frank Ntilikina gets minutes at all this season? I don't know. This is the Knicks. I have no idea what the hell they're doing right now. Look, let, let's just let's just talk about their four highest paid players. They're all power forwards. Julius Randle, Bobby <laughs> Portis, Marcus Morris, and Tosh Gibson. Yeah. All right. So you can argue that Bobby Portis and Tosh Gibson can play center minutes. Yeah. All right. Then let's play them at center. Oh, wait a second. There's Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> right. What are we going to do there? Hmm. Maybe we just slide down Mitchell Robinson's minutes because his time is not here yet. So let's hinder his development so Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis can get center minutes. All right, so we 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 figured out the front court situation, or at least the big position. So let's go to the three, because there we have R.J. Barrett. And R.J. Barrett, he can have the small forward position all to himself. That's important. Oh, there's there's Damian 
Dotson, though, we kind of forgot about Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox was ironically more so a four than a three, but because of the locked him at the four, we actually have to play him at the three. So, RJ, maybe you just hold off a year so we can get Kevin Knox back in it because he, we, you know, he really sucked the first year, and we want to, you know, see his value return. Is that okay, RJ? No. Well, sorry, that's just how we're gonna do it. Let's go to the off guard spot. There we have. Wayne Ellington, who's absolutely going to get minutes because it's Wayne Ellington. We also have Damian Dotson there because he's a 2-3. And we have one more, Alonso Trier, uh, who, who works great. And we, oh, wait a sec. We also have Reggie Bullock, by the way. That's a lot of twos. Hmm, what are we going to do there? Oh, yeah, sure. We have to play some of them at the three. Like Reggie Bullock, you're 6'7", 205 pounds, and you can, you're going to plug and play, guys. So let's switch you up to the three. Oh, RJ, RJ, would you mind taking another five to eight minutes off of per game so we can give Reggie some minutes at the three? Thank you. And Alonso Trier had a very good rookie season. So obviously, he's going to have to take the vast majority of the shooting guard minutes. But, oh, Wayne... Wayne, yeah, we know you're a 10-year pro. You're one of the best shooters in the damn league, so you're going to have to take minutes as well. So Alonso you know, and RJ, could you both just slide back even your minutes a little bit more? You know what? Screw it. Maybe we just send you down to the G League instead. That's much better. It's a freaking mess. Yeah. And then, it's a freaking mess. I didn't even go into the point guard spot right. because I don't care. Right. I'm tired. Yeah. I mean... It Thankfully, there's less competition there. It's really just Dennis Smith and Alfred Payton. But, you know, Dennis Smith, this is now his third season. We need to figure out, are you good? Because come next July, you're eligible for an extension. And if we don't have a definitive answer because we played Alfred Payton right. over you, or if we, we decided we saw Frankie Smokes play in France and actually look good, so maybe he can play point guard again. Like... I just don't see a way for the Knicks to possibly find minutes for all of these guys and keep them happy. And at least, I mean, you can run a 10 or 11 man rotation, but I don't know that it's going to give you a meaningful sample size for any no, of them. No, it's not. It's not. And I just realized that in my rant, I even forgot about Marcus Morris. Yeah. And it only makes it worse. I mean, like Iggy Brasdakis, I know is not going to factor in, but he, he could He's be there. a thing. Yeah, yeah, like he's definitely not going to get minutes just because there are so many other guys. But it'd be like it would be nice to see if he's a thing. But unfortunately, they signed a bunch of veterans, and so now they're going to have to deprioritize their young guys. And and it comes down to you know what they put a premium on going into the year. Like they they spent you know they trade Kristaps Porzingis at the trade deadline last February. And they get mm -hmm. Dennis Smith, and they get two first-round picks. So it's not just for cap space, but really it's just for cap space, right? Right. I mean, it that that sent a message. We have enough cap room for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They both want to come to New York. We know they're going to be Knicks. That's the only reason we would make that kind of a trade, because why would you trade Christoph Porzingis, who is going to be a restricted free agent otherwise? We know he's been pissed at this franchise for years, but we still could have matched an offer sheet. We still could have kept him around. We You don't make that trade unless you know you're getting a big fish free agent. To be fair, both Durant and Kyrie went to New York. Right, exactly. They were correct about that. They were mm -hmm. spot on in that assessment. Um, I, I, it's just, this is, I get, again, I get what the Knicks are trying to do here, but it just feels like it's going to fail 
in just the most hilarious way possible. Yeah, because here's the thing. It depends what they want to do in terms of who they want to trade. So they sign veterans and with the mindset of flipping them later. The the problem with that is if you bury those vets, they're going to diminish in value. Like Wayne Ellington is the perfect example of this. If they want down the line to flip Wayne Ellington, he's going to have to play minutes, significant minutes for his trade value to be upkept. If they are going to bury him for the development process of R.J. Barrett and Alonzo Trier and Damian Dotson, which in some respects they obviously should because those are safer cards to play, then the whole idea of signing a guy to flip him later dies, with with Wayne Ellington at least, because what are you going to get out of him if he's not playing minutes? Now, that logic can also be utilized for Reggie Bullock, Marcus Morris, Tosh Gibson, Bobby Portis, and Julius Randle. and if you flip it around and say, well, we want to see what we can do. Like maybe maybe we have enough talent to actually make it to the playoffs so they bury the kids instead. All right. Mm-hmm. If we do that, if they do that, that just means that they're going to hinder the development of, you know, maybe three or four guys that could right. actually turn into something good. Right. So regardless, they've painted themselves into a corner, but somehow, I don't know how you do that. But you, they painted themselves into two corners at the same time. It's it's literally impossible, but they managed to do so. Yeah, it, it's it's beyond ridiculous. This is a teenager who sat on a NBA two K simulator and just did stuff because he knew their names. Right, right. Oh yeah, this guy is an NBA player. Let's. Add this him. guy is an NBA player. I I saw him have a dunk on ESPN <laughs> Sports Center. Let right. me sign him. How much did he want? Fifteen million a year. Well, this is this is all digital money. So here you go. I don't know. This is. I mean, it's the Knicks, isn't it? And and by the way, I I know I just crapped on you, James Dolan. So feel free to ban me from the garden. Go ahead. <laughs> I dare you. I double dare you. Come on. Yeah, I mean, like I I just don't even know if it's worth asking questions about this team because it feels like they're going to think that they're maybe a playoff contender just because you know there's a clear top six in the east and then you could talk yourself into miami chicago detroit orlando even atlanta in that next tier and maybe the knicks think they're in that tier but they aren't and if they are then they're not going to trade these guys at the trade deadline and that defeats the entire purpose of signing correct yes like they should the best case scenario is that their locker room just implodes quickly because there are so many guys not getting the minutes they want and then they're forced to trade these guys right when december 15th hits and you can start trading guys who signed as free agents and then you can start freeing up minutes and then like mitchell robinson and rj barrett and kevin knox all after the all-star break go on massive tears and then we still don't know if it means anything because at that point there's going to be so much load management going on that they're going to be beating up against reserves like yep I, that I can almost guarantee is going to be the story of the 2019-2020 Knicks. I uh, don't disagree. Yeah. And, but the, the the biggest problem to me, you know what that is? It's apparent. Like this is this was so obvious going to be a thing. Just like I will compare this to the Jabari Parker signing with the Bulls a year ago. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew it was going to be a dumb signing. Everyone knew. I, I think like – at best, you saw like two media pundits go, "Oh, this could actually be very clever." Th- that's it. Like everyone else, was like this is going to be bad. 
yeah. we are all like in the NBA stratosphere here in full agreement that this is not going to go over well. Yeah. And when you're sitting in that room making those decisions, I just wonder, does this go through several people? <laughs> because eventually, if you have a, a, a front office with multiple members, at some point, on some level, someone would have to get up and go, hey, hey, guys, what, what we're doing here is not smart. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, I'm, no, no, but I, I, well, you have to assume that's the case, right? I would, I would think. I mean, like, to their credit, it's smarter than giving Joakim Noah $72 million over four years. So they cleared. Oh, yeah, that's a great, great bar to hold <laughs> right. them up to, Brian. <laughs> I was going to say, they cleared an exceptionally low bar that they set for themselves three years ago. But to do it this nakedly and transparently, I just, maybe it works for them. You know, maybe they get. I'd be shocked if they got a future first for any of these guys, except for maybe Randall, who I assume they don't want to trade. I think that's you know that's the one the guy they signed to a longer than a two year deal. So maybe they pick up a couple seconds and then they make those picks and then repeat the whole process next year when they strike out on free agents. Yeah, I mean, I just don't get why they didn't go. I, I get it; it's the old school way, or it's become the old school way now because of Sam Hinky, who is it isn't even old school. But now, when you have cap space and you don't have any prospects of signing someone who who can you know make a major difference, the the default option is hey, then let's take on crap contracts for draft picks. Right, like that. It was such a slam dunk to do so, but I think yeah. it's it's because they put pressure on the on themselves, right? They went out and they basically said, we're going to get somebody. Right. We are going to get, you know, someone great, someone huge. Like the expectation level. They they themselves, they did this. They came out and, and just hyped the, themselves up to just perverse degrees yeah. in terms of who they could get this summer. Yeah. And then when then fell, that fell through, and everyone knew it would, they just panicked and said, well, we, we promised our fans. We promised our fans something. What do we have? Let, let's look in the bin. What's there? Uh, Julius Randle. Yep. Yeah, you know, 20 and 11. It's fine. Get him. Doesn't matter. Uh, Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis can shoot and he can score and he can put on numbers. Get him. It's it's so dumb. Yeah. We spent way too much time talking about the New York Knicks. Let's move mm-hmm. on to the Philadelphia 76ers. I love that you just skipped over the past, the, the, the last remaining three questions you had about I, them there's just, on your outline. I yeah. mean, it's it's the same stuff, man. It's like yeah. there's, there's literally nothing good to say about them. The Sixers made some huge changes this offseason, of course. Oh, nice. We're at the Sixers. I'm just going to leave for 20 minutes. You, you got this, right? I mean, <laughs> I have some ideas. But I, I'm curious how you see this playing out as an outsider. You know, lost Jimmy Butler, lost JJ Redick, bring in Josh Richardson, bring in Al Horford, re-sign Tobias Harris. Now you've got the supersized starting five, no one shorter than six six. The big question, of course, with Horford, you know, they signed him in part to be insurance for Embiid in case he gets hurt, to help with load management. They can have a backup five who they actually could somewhat sustained incredible team because every time Embiid lost the floor last year they got annihilated so that won't be a problem this year but they're also planning on starting him at the four so how do you see the Horford Embiid tandem working together I actually like it I I, I think the the major downside or not downside necessarily I think the worst case scenario is that they're a bit slow 
Mm-hmm. Like they're they are maybe going at times going to be matched up against you know smaller forwards who are more agile and quick. And even though they're great defensively, both Al and Joel, speed is just such an advantage in this league. So that could they, they could run into trouble here and there. But ultimately, over an eighty-two game schedule. I don't think it's going to hurt them whatsoever. I mean, Al is just so smart. He knows how to position himself, and he'll communicate, and Joel will just protect the basket and and, and understand when to rotate over and when not to. I, I think they'll figure it out. I, I could see some early season struggles defensively just because of those slow feet, but they'll figure out a way. And then you also have Ben Simmons on the perimeter, so they should be good. And, hey, Josh Richardson, I keep forgetting about Josh. He was also a very good defender, so uh, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a big issue but uh, there are some slippery you know slippery forwards in this league that could really put a number on them but I, we're, we're in the minuscule things ultimately I, I love their fit especially offensively I know that the major appeal is defense but you know you have a guy like Al who can shoot from the outside who can pass from literally anywhere on the basketball court like that's a huge benefit for a big guy you have Joel who moves well off the ball, especially when he's he's trying to find himself room under the basket. So you have these high low opportunities. You have the ability for for Al to hit outside shots. And and here's the the wrinkle that I think have just not been talked about a whole lot. Joel and B can pass. Yeah, he is not a bad passer in and of himself. Like we have the, the entire discussion around this has been, oh Al Horford is a great playmaker and that will benefit Joel and B. Yada yada yada. I, I think we have completely glossed over the fact that Joel Embiid himself is a good playmaker, mm-hmm. which means that they, the, the Sixers now have two big men who can actively be used as passing hubs. If one of them are being locked down, then you just go to the other one. Both of them can facilitate for their guards. Both of them can find each other, and both of them can create, on some level, their own opportunities. So the the the... The what's the word I'm looking for? The versatility I feel like mm-hmm. is is just so grand for their their front court. And then you have Josh Richardson, who is you know probably going to just take on a bunch of off ball opportunities and off ball shots. He's not going to be on the ball as much as he was in Miami, which might actually be a good thing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think ultimately the biggest problem is perimeter offense. I want yep. to say, yep. That's that's probably where I'm at. I think defensively they should be good. Um, I, I I think up front there's not really going to be any issues. Like Al, I know people saying, oh, he's a center, eh, power forward, center, positionless basketball, and he's smart. He makes up for his shortcomings. So yeah. Uh, but but yeah, perimeter offense is the biggest one for me. Where yeah. do they get scoring and how? Yeah, I mean, I'm slightly concerned about Al's foot speed guarding fours, but. Yeah, Simmons should help in that regard, I would think, and we'll see. I mean, Tobias Harris is the worst defender on in the Sixers starting lineup, which is not a bad problem to have. Like he's he's no, not great. He's fine. But yeah, he's like passable. But the other four guys are like great to elite defenders. I mean, Joel Embiid is a defensive player of the year caliber player. Ben Simmons could get there one day. He's just so versatile. Josh Richardson's going to be defending point guards. Josh Richardson at six foot six is going to be defending point guards. It's not going to end well for yeah. a lot of points. Like the, I think the Sixers' length is going to be, um, it's going to pose a lot of problems during the regular season and the playoffs. And I think the Horford Embiid fit might be more of a problem in the playoffs than during the regular season. But 
that's why you can adjust in a seven-game series, and Brett Brown will have a lot of options on his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big story, of course, is Ben Simmons, who is apparently not a coward anymore. He, you know, he's been taking jumpers throughout the offseason in these workout videos that everyone gets excited about. But there were quotes from Brett Brown the other day saying, like, you know, they come back, and even in workouts, Ben yep. Simmons is taking more jumpers. Like, he, he just looks more confident apparently taking them you know even playing with the team tobias harris talked about it uh during the off season as well said he was working out with ben and caught some heat because there was like a video that came out where he's guarding ben by the three-point line and people are like why are you doing that he's like because ben was shooting threes what do you want from me how many threes do you think <laughs> ben simmons hits this year uh i i definitely think he hits them yeah. uh i i think the just the pressure of him becoming a shooter i think is too great for him to just ignore so i i wouldn't even be i would be i wouldn't be surprised if he hit 20 plus this year oh okay i i'm like i'm setting the expectation as 10 because i okay i still don't think he's gonna take many yeah but i i think the Sixers defense, I expect the Sixers defense to really be the key to the season. And I think they right. you know, they have the foundation to be a top 5 defense, which should lead to more blowouts especially against bad teams. Like I don't think Ben during the regular season is going to want to attempt many threes early in games or in close games, but if you're up 15 with 5 minutes left, you know, that's the time to let it fly. Like that that's the time to try stuff out that you're working on. So I still think he he just realizes that the Sixers have so many other guys who can score, you know, Embiid of course, but Tobias Harris too, Josh Richardson's a great catch and shoot guy that he just like does the math on the fly and is like, "You know what? Even at best I'm a 20-25% three-point shooter. The points per possession on that is not great. I'd rather just give it to like even Embiid for a post-up double teamed. Right. <laughs> the points per possession are probably a little bit higher. So I think it's going to be a constant thing that Brett Brown's going to need to get on him about this year. But I do think we start to see him taking a few more than he, you know, he's taken 17 in his first two seasons combined. I think he's going to lap that alone this season. And yeah, I think he does start to hit a few threes and it will just be, you know, a work in progress. But frankly, I think improvement from the free throw line is a much more important development this season for Ben than the three-point right. shot. Like, if he can hit 70% from the line, that's going to help the team far more than him shooting six threes in the season will. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the most... The, the, the best-case scenario um, is, is actually a story that I thought about recently. So Al Harrington, back in Atlanta, in his Atlanta days, this is a long time ago, he was a non-shooter. And during a game, and I don't remember, this is like 10 plus, 12 plus years ago, he started, he hit a three, and he felt good. So he took another one mm-hmm. and went in. And if a non-shooter like him ended, up, ended the evening shooting six for nine from downtown, like that's a substantial amount of threes hitting a yeah. game for someone who's a non-shooter. And he was like, oh boy, <laughs> I like doing this. I can actually hit that shot. Yeah. And we know that Al Harrington went on to become one of you know the league's most prolific three-point shooters at the big, power four position. Like He started just 
ramping up threes. Uh, I remember during you know he when he played under Mike D'Antoni in New York, like yep. he oh, yeah. he just launched. Yeah, I think that's the story here for or that's the the story you want for Ben Simmons is that he's cautious right now. He kind of knows his limitations. Then he takes three, and he makes it, and he goes, oh, oh. I mean, I practiced them all summer. It felt natural. Right. I'm an NBA player for crying out loud. I can hit a three. Maybe I can hit one more. And then it kind of goes. And he he gradually figures out, hey, you know what? I I can actually get the ball into the basket from, from far out. Who knew? And it becomes a brand new thing. Now, I agree with you that the free throw is far more important. But apparently the league wants to take that away eventually. Which is, <laughs> right. Right. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. But I do think him being able to showcase the three just a bit is still very, very important. Oh, now, sure. I'm not one of those people who thinks that his entire legacy is going to hinge on the three-point shot. I think yeah. it's been yeah. grossly overestimated. So I will say something else. I think the bigger problem with a three-point shot is Joel Embiid. Mm. Yeah, this I, guy I launches a lot. And he's hit them at what, 30 something percent? And I, when I say 30 something, I'm not saying 31 point something. I'm saying 30 point something over the past two years on high volume. The ultimate goal is for one of them, for one of Embiid or Simmons, to be able to drain that three. Whoever it is, it doesn't matter. But it just, they need to get some positive production out of one of them from the outside at decent percentages. If that's Embiid, Fine. If that's Simmons, fine. Doesn't matter. Just you can't have the two of them being liabilities from the outside. That's when yeah. you get into trouble. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, MB just, you would like him to at least cut the one. They're like, there are some that are in rhythm and then there are some that are just lazy. And you would like him to oh, yeah. cut the lazy ones out. But again, I think having more options offensively, even coming off the bench now, like th- their bench is the best it's been since Brett Brown took over. And I think that's going to help all of these guys cut out some of their bad shots. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, obviously Josh Richardson is going to be a key to this thing as well. I think he's really the X factor for the Sixers. I'm going to write about it for Forbes on Monday, so I don't want to give away too much. But I think, you know, losing J.J. Redick, who was obviously the big spacer for them, um, that's going to be a huge question offensively. As you said, perimeter scoring, like perimeter shooting especially, where do you get that? Because otherwise teams are just going to pack the paint. Josh Richardson was much better on catch and shoot threes in Miami. They was on pull up threes. So as you said, he's probably going to play more off the ball, which I think will only help him. Yeah. And then Tobias Harris too. I mean, he was good when he came over at the trade deadline. You know, he averaged 18 and eight shot, not super well from three, 32.6% from three, but you know, he's a high-volume three-point shooter. You'd like to see him, obviously, get back to where he was. Um, it, with the Clippers, he was at 43.4%, so I'm guessing his three-point percentage jumps back up. But in general, I think Tobias Harris is poised for a big year. And we yep. talked about this right when the Sixers made all these signings, but I think there's just a much more natural offensive hierarchy now in mm. Philly, whereas like the Jimmy Butler thing really threw that off and then plus adding Tobias at the trade deadline they just never had a chance to really figure that out but now it's like very clearly Joel Embiid yeah Joel Embiid is still the alpha and the omega yeah but now I think Tobias Harris is the clear number two I agree 
And that worries me a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Who's the ball handler who can create himself jump shots? I think it might be Tobias. Woof. That, He's good that at concerns me. Yeah, yeah, but you know, here's the thing with Butler, right? Butler could handle the ball like a point guard. He could also facilitate like a point guard. Yeah. And he could create his own shot like the prototypical shooting guard. Yeah, for sure. Tobias is not that, which is like Tobias is absolutely fine. I have no quarrels with him. Like he he's a perfectly legitimate 3-4 in this league who's, you know, puts up star numbers. But I'm looking at that roster. I still feel that you're kind of a guard. It doesn't matter if it's a one or a two. You're a guard who can create their own shots consistently away. Yeah. From from being like the clear cut league favorite. Uh, I mean, where do you go in the clutch to to Embiid to, to Harris? Where do you go there? No, that's. I mean, that's definitely the fair question hanging over the Sixers this season. Is like, how does that crunch time work out? Because yeah, I mean, especially against the Raptors. You know, they pretty well neutralized Ben Simmons for most of that series. And Jimmy Butler yeah. really took over as the primary pick-and-roll ball handler. Who fills that role this season? I don't know. You know, Maybe we get we see something from Zaire Smith off the bench. Oh, you just stole my line, man. Yeah. Okay, you knew where I was going with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Shake Milton's out there. You know, they have Raul Nito and Trey Burke as backup point guards. I don't know which one of those guys is going to win the job, but... They just have, luckily, like they have a lot of time to figure these things out. But yeah, let's end on for at least for the Sixers. You know, it's them in Milwaukee, right? Like we we agree that those two are the clear. Oh yeah, top oh yeah, in the East. and right. And I also think it's fair to say that Philly, in terms of perimeter defense, probably has the best perimeter defense uh, bench in the league. Yeah, when you look at Sayur Smith and Matisse Thybul, yep. I mean, that is just. And, and I assume that Al Horford is also going to play a fair amount of minutes with the second unit so he can For get sure. some center minutes in. Yep. That is going to be absurd. So maybe we won't even find Philly as much of those situations where they need late game execution. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the hope at least. Yeah. But in the playoff setting, it might just be different. I, I have a feeling the Philadelphia 76ers could be a team that breezes through the regular season and then struggles a little bit in the playoffs just because they, they lack that, that final ball handler. Yeah, it would not surprise me. I mean, I, I think, you know, barring injury, I think we're going to see Philly and Milwaukee uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then, yeah. you know, it'll be really interesting to see how that And it's RIP Philly. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. It's a lot oh, you're, you're actually optimistic. I, I like this version of you. You're always so pessimistic towards them. Now you're optimistic. I like it. I stand by that they've matched up better against Milwaukee than they did Toronto last year. I think if they got past, if that stupid four-bounce shot doesn't go in, they're in the finals. That's a take. Let's finish, speaking of the effing four-bounce shot, let's finish with the defending champion Toronto Raptors, who unfortunately do not have Kawhi Leonard to hit four bounce shots for them anymore. They also lost Danny Green this offseason. You know, that was always the risk with the Kawhi trade, but you make that trade 10 times out of 10, especially Mm -hmm. given what happened. Like, no one's ever going to take that ring from them. They're good with that. It was totally worth the risk. Um, They recalibrated as well as they could have. You know, took some cheap flyers on Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hallas Jefferson. But really the big question with Toronto is, you know, where do they go from here? 
Like they have Kyle Lowry, pass, or, uh, sorry, pa- Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, and Serge Ibaka, and Fred VanVleet all going into mm-hmm. the last year of their deals. They haven't traded any of those guys. Doesn't seem like they're going to ahead of the season. They would have by now if they were going to, you know. But what happens December fifteenth when free agents who signed this summer can right. be traded? Do you think they're going to stand pat, or do you think, you know, at at that point? Could we start to see some of those guys who are, except for Van Vliet, they're all in their 30s already, probably don't factor into the Raptors' long-term future. Do you think Masai Ujiri starts getting an itchy trigger figure? So I actually wrote about this uh, for Forbes a couple weeks ago. Basically, the Raptors have so many possibilities that they can go to. Uh, you know, you look at that roster, you think, oh, this... There are some issues here. Yeah, absolutely, there are. But at the same time, with with these three, uh, or actually four, if you count Van Vliet, expiring contracts coming up, with that that is like Kyle Lowry's thirty three million, Marcus is twenty five and a half, Ibaka twenty three point two, and Van Vliet is a straight nine million. That with that comes so much luxury, really, because you can decide to keep them all and go for another round of the playoffs this year or this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team is still good enough to to make the playoffs. I feel like it's it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Now, obviously, the Raptors would want to play the twenty twenty one free agency game, like half the league. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's perfectly fine. They could, if they wanted to, trade Kyle, trade Mark, trade Search. If we if we keep it around those three, for a, for contracts that run a year longer and maybe then extracting additional assets. And then just basically bailing on the next next season, uh, so 20, 2021, and then go into 2021 saying, hey, you know what? We have max cap space, and we got some additional assets off of those trades, like maybe a couple rookies or whatever. Now we actually have a young team. Would you be interested in coming here, Giannis or whoever? Mm-hmm. They could also decide to go the route of actually being in the playoffs for two years and, and telling Kyle, telling Mark and Serge, hey, you know what, guys, we actually want to keep you around for another year. Let's let's re-sign you to one-year deals in 2020. I mean, the free agency market is going to be pretty bad anyway. Uh, the 2020 projects is one of the weakest uh, free agency classes in well, in years at least. Mm-hmm. So re-signing those guys to a one-year deal and then retooling in 2021 could also be a play there, there are just so many and if they decide to just let them all three walk in 2020 then they can they can just kind of bridge water and f- figure out you know let's see if we can find some under the radar guys and you know one year balloon deals whatever like it's fine we're still going to play the game in 2021 mm-hmm. there are just so many opportunities to go here the the major constant is the contract of pascal siakam who needs to be extended, and I know you have that on the agenda, so we, yep. we're going to talk to, talk about that. Um, like he should be the mainstay because he's the guy that you actually showcase to free agents in twenty twenty one. Like, look, this guy won a ring with Kawhi Leonard. He's fully, you know, he's fully capable of playing second fiddle. He doesn't demand shots. Yada yada yada. Yeah, I I think they are looking pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I mean, let's go into Siakam. Because I just finished a series today at Forbes on some of the biggest rookie scale extension decisions coming up. And I think, you know, the Celtics, as we mentioned earlier, have basically said they're not going to 
give Jalen Brown an extension, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Ingram with the Pelicans, Buddy Hield with the Kings, Sabonis with the Pacers, the other big ones. But I think Siakam, if anyone, you know, if anyone from this class who hasn't signed yet is going to get a max, it's Siakam, right? Right. So if you're the pay- or if you're the Raptors, do you max him right now? Do you give him a full max extension? Or do you try to get him a slight discount knowing that if he hits the free agent market next summer, he could get a max? He might not. He might not find anything close to that. So usually the the place where you actually find a little bit of a discount is with extensions. Because that's where you tell a guy, hey, you know what? We we want you long-term. We want to lock you up financially and, and give you that long-term security. And we want to do it a year ahead of time. So you're not worried. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you be able to maybe shave off five or six million on the total? Um, eh, maybe. What's is, you know? But but in terms of Pascal Siapa, I would forego all that. I would just go, hey, here's your max. Wow. Look, he's 25. He's three years deep. He just won most improved. Pascal Siakam is going to be in his prime from this season and onwards for the next five seasons. Mm-hmm. If you lock him up during that time, that is a great time to spend all that money. Then when he enters his 30s and he's up, then you can reevaluate and go, hey, maybe you know, turning 31 or whatever, maybe we're going to pivot or maybe we're going to trade him or you know, before, before he expires. So... Getting him in the smack dab middle of his prime would always be beneficial. And he's good enough to do it. We saw how influential a defender he is. And by the way, NBA Twitter, I love it, but sometimes it, it can be the worst because I saw so many, Paul Pascal Siakam didn't even average a steal or block per game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sweetie, that's 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 not how it is. Right, right. <laughs> that's not a great indicator. I mean, we agree that he is a super switchable defender. Yeah. Uh, who can guard the perimeter, who can guard the paint, who can guard wings. He's aggressive. His shot selection has just improved so much. And the fact that he can now shoot threes and hit almost 80% of the line is... I, he he is very very close to an all around greatly all around player. He, mm-hmm. You know he can even play make from the four, so I would feel perfectly fine loading up another four or five years with Spicy P. I mean I would feel fine <laughs> keeping him around. I think the Raptors obviously are going to keep him around no matter what. But I would not give him a full max right now, and I I explained why in Forbes. You I go in a full detail there, but the TLDR version is one, they haven't seen him operate as a number one option. Right. So maybe they just want to see a larger sample size of that before they commit that kind of money to him. And two, because he was the number 27 pick, his cap hold next summer is really, really small. So depending on what the Raptors want to do, and this ties back to the Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka, Van Vliet stuff, I mean, that's a $20 million difference, probably even more. Uh, between his cap hold, which I think is around like seven million, I want to say. Yeah, it's ridiculously low. Yeah. Yep. And then his max, which would be, you know, his starting salary would be around twenty nine. I think twenty nine five, unless. Yeah. So twenty two million dollar difference if you give him the money up front. Right. So again, depending on like you mentioned it, the free agent class sucks next year. So mm-hmm. maybe the Raptors don't have any big aspirations of luring a star free agent because there aren't star free agents to lure outside of Anthony Davis. 
so that could have influenced their thinking. But you know, with the other guys, with Ingram, Heald, Brown, even Sabonis, there isn't a huge uh, distinction between their cap hold and what they could earn on a max or like. For Indiana, it's like a $10 million difference, but they can't create cap space anyway, so that doesn't matter. Toronto is the one team where there is significant financial incentive not to give him the extension right now. Use that $20 million in cap space next summer and then re-sign him. Now, you're gambling that, A, he doesn't sign... You know, He could sign an offer sheet that's only like a three plus one instead of Mm -hmm. the five-year max, which you can give him right now. And that screws you over. Like if he signs an offer sheet anywhere else, it's by nature only going to be four years at most. And it could be the three plus one, which is what happened with Gordon Hayward in Utah. And then we saw how that ended in 2017. So you are running the risk of losing some team control on him. But as you mentioned, he is old for a guy coming off of his rookie deal. So, that might be less of a risk for them than for most teams. So I I get why they would want to keep him. I, I'm not saying that they're going to get rid of Pascal Siakam. I, I think he's going to be in Toronto beyond 2020 regardless. Mm-hmm. But I would probably balk at giving him a full five-year max right now. I think you're forgetting something that's really important as well. And, and his former teammate, Kawhi Leonard, will attest to that. Like, Kawhi went through that whole thing with the Spurs. That's how they got LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, mm-hmm. he became a restricted free agent because his cap hold was so low and that allowed them to get Aldridge. Yep. But that didn't sit well with him. He wanted the extension and he was clearly, clearly worth it mm-hmm. at that time as well. Like, they just made a play for the long term. Now, Siakam, you could make a similar case there. Like, how would he feel if he if he's clearly worth X amount? Like, you can say that he's not worth the max. That's fine. That's But that's a different debate. Like, yeah. in terms of getting a significant raise, he's obviously worth a significant raise. So he'll sit there and go, "What? wait, wait, why am I not getting a significant raise right now? Well, that's because we want to hold off because there might be some other players that we want to get, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Then what happens if, you know, his knee explodes? Yeah. Oh, Oh, that 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 in- increase in pay that you we promised you that you'd get down the line. That's yeah about that. So I I think for him, I I would get it if you know I I would totally understand him if he was upset at not getting something right now. And I just wouldn't risk it. Like he's happy in Toronto. He's been really complimentary of the like the organization, the city, and whatnot. And the Raptors themselves seem to always handle things. Uh, very well they think they compensate their their personnel really well not just players but i mean coaching staff and front office and all that i i just think this would be a way to just lessen any potential drama and just get things locked up and then decided from there but i totally hear you i mean if he's willing to play that game you could talk to him via back channels and go are you okay with getting paid in the summer instead and he's like yeah i'm fine with it okay go ahead yeah but if he shows any inclination, any inkling of wanting to sign that extension now, like just get it done. But I, and I mean, look, I wouldn't be saying this if this was twenty twenty one coming up. Yeah, it's just the crappy free agent class next summer for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the determining factor for me. I think yeah. the most important thing is you go into twenty one twenty twenty one with a locked up Pascal Siakam yep. and a bunch of cap space, and you go, hey, look, this is the perfect running mate for you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I I think they're keeping them either way, and I totally yeah. hear you. I, you're right. I mean, like, you do run the risk of pissing him off a little bit, and you need to make sure he's on board with that plan. But, I mean, again, I, I don't think – I think the worst thing that happened to Toronto this summer was Jamal Murray ex- agreeing to a max because I don't know that he's – necessarily like a no-brainer max guy like right ben simmons is a no-brainer max guy correct jamal murray i get why they did it i don't know that he's like a no-brainer especially seeing karis levert agree to a three-year 52 million dollar deal so right and didn't jamal get like almost 100 million more than gary harris did yeah he got the full 5170 or whatever it ends up being yeah okay so 90 million more than gary harris and i remember us talking about that under a year ago, when you asked, like, what should Jamal Murray get? I was like, similar money to Gary Harris. And you were like, yeah, that feels right. Right. So <laughs> he like, got $90 million more. Yeah, if you're Pascal's agent, you're going and saying, like, Jamal Murray just got this money. I deserve this money, too. And the Raptors yeah. will understandably be hesitant to do it. So I'm interested to see how those extension discussions play out. But let's finish with... Where do you see these Raptors, these Kawhi-less Raptors, fitting in in that Eastern Conference hierarchy? Are they right in that mix for the three seed? You know, depending on everyone staying together for the full year. Yeah, right. I'm assuming. Uh, no, no, not not that high. Uh, Kyle is still going to be a year older. The same with Marcus All, and they are pretty up there at this point. Uh, Surge is is the biggest question mark to me because he he found you know he 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 seems to be declining from age what twenty eight and de- and 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 then just kind of got worse and then he actually regained some of his ability it seemed like last year maybe he was just properly motivated mm-hmm. but I'm not sure I think he's such a weird guy I feel like um, it it seems like everything has to align for him to be such an influential player and with Kawhi leaving and fully knowing that there's no chance in hell of repeating as champions, I just don't know what kind of version of Ibaka we're going to get, honestly. So there are some question marks around Kyle and Mark and Serge. Um, you know, I think they could be, the best case scenario is probably like top five around the same like Miami Heat area. I think they, I think that those two teams compare favorably in terms of like win-loss record. Yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. I mean, I could see, like, in a best-case scenario, they finish the, as a three. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're hedging your bets, especially against the chance of them doing a fire sale at the trade deadline, you're probably assuming they're going to finish a little bit below the Boston, mm. Brooklyn, possibly even Indiana. But I, I think if they do keep all their players, at least, they are a comfortable playoff team still. But it also depends on Siakam, though. I mean, we haven't talked about it as much like what are we going to get out of him this year mm-hmm. maybe with Kawhi out of town now he's going to bump up his averages like we've seen the work ethic that he has you wouldn't win you wouldn't win most improved if you didn't work on your game yeah. obviously he took a major leap last season where's the indicator that he won't take maybe not the same type of leap but another leap yeah entirely possible I think that's a good place to wrap up, Mort. So thanks to all of you for joining us. We will be back in a few days with our final division preview, the Pacific, and then we'll get into the really fun stuff as the season is rapidly approaching. So in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find all of our new episodes there. You can also find our Twitter handles in our bio. So give us a follow as well. 
You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews, and we're now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. One last plea for me. Uh, I'm going to be doing the mother of all Q&As over at Forbes. Uh, I want all your questions. So send them to me on Twitter, at MSJNBA. My DMs are open. You can also add me. Just send in your questions. I'll be doing a major Q&A leading up to the season. Nice. Ask about all of the dumb fringe prospects who are not going to play, and we'll happily spend 500 words on them. (laughs) Absolutely.